Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. We're a podcast for people who are looking for faith beyond the walls and the fences of institutional Christianity. And I'm so excited for this episode to be joined once again by my great friend and erstwhile uh, sometime co-host, I guess, uh, Mr. Reverend Brad Davis. Brad, welcome back. It's so good to to be having a conversation with you today. Glad to be back, Joe. Always good to have a conversation with you. And guess what? It's Holy Week. It's Holy Week, yeah. Now, but when this podcast releases, it will actually be post-Holy Week, but but it will still be the season of Easter. Um, and so uh, we, we have rationalized our way into thinking that this topic is relevant for all of our listeners out there. I think we do have, I think there's some interesting things though, even if folks are listening to this after, you know, Holy Week and, and after Easter Sunday. And as we kind of look, you know, through sort of a deconstruction lens at, um, at some of the events, uh, of, of Holy Week and Easter, you know, one of the, one of the conversations that, that we've been having is this idea of, um, of sort of the subversiveness, you know, of the whole thing. I, I posted a thing from our, New Wineskins Faith Community um, last week about, you know, something to the effect of, is there any more subversive act, you know, in all of scripture than Palm Sunday or what, you know, John Dominic Crossan and, and some other scholars have referred to as sort of the anti-triumphal entry. And we'll, we'll pick some of that apart here a little bit later. And then a, a mutual friend of ours texted me after seeing that and said, well, you know, Maybe the more subversive act is, you know, the the crucifixion and resurrection. And, but that that led to a bigger conversation that I think you and I are interested in having about, you know, seeing that whole drama um, as as you know many parts of one larger, very subversive act. Very, you know, there's there's street theater involved. There's there's a lot of things like that that we want to unpack. So uh, so yeah so. Um, yeah, the Holy Week and Easter as an act of, um, subversion. What do you think about that, man? Let's do it. I like <laughs> it. So, um, you know, one of we, so talking about this idea of the, these things being one big thing, one of the things that you said to me as we were kind of getting ready to record was, um, we have a tendency in, in church world, um, to sort of silo these various events that, that we celebrate during Holy Week. Um, and, and, you know, we, we crunch them together into this, um, I guess, sort of liturgical or piece of the liturgical calendar. Um, but, but like a lot of other things that we tend to do, um, in the institutional church, we, we separate these events from one another in ways that they miss their larger meanings. So what's, what's part of the, the Holy Week narrative? You know, where do you begin to find some of that? Um, the beginnings of a subversive act taking place. Yeah. And really, I think it, you have to go all the way back to the beginning, Joe, and you have to link the, the, the incarnation, the, the birth yeah. of Christ and Christ's life and ministry in with all of this and view all of it from, from the perspective of it being one continuous subversive act. Yeah. 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 And and to clarify, too, you know, when we're talking about a subversive act, I think what you and I are talking about is it's it's subversive because it's an act of liberation. Right. And and you and I both kind of tend to see 
um, the world through a, a lens of, of liberation theology. But, but I think you're right. You know, one of the things I've found myself doing in recent years is, um, to not really talk about the individual parts of the Jesus story, but to talk about what, what I like to call the Jesus event, right? Which includes incarnation, life, ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, <clears throat> you know, excuse me, the whole, the whole gamut of that as one larger event. Yeah. We, we, we view this event, as you said, the Christ event, uh, as one continuous act of liberation, right. As one continuous act of subversion, which is subverting the, the current order of, of how things are ordered in the world, right. The, the socio-political economic order of things which are not aligned with the way God intends for the world to be. Yeah. Which is to say that, you know, it, it, even for folks who might be uncomfortable with God language, right? Um, another way of putting that whole thing is to say it's, it's out of whack with um, the way of, of mutual love of, um, that I, I I love the the Hebrew word uh, "hesed" um, that gets translated in in English versions of the Bible to usually to like loving kindness, um, but it's so much deeper than that because it's 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 not just an emotional exchange; it's it's a way of being, and you know, and I think what we're talking about with talking about the Jesus event or the Christ event is. Uh, a way of showing the world um, that we've been missing the point, right? <laughs> that there, there is, there is an intent um, that we would be governed by this kind of hesed love, this mutual um, sharing of dignity and respect and honor and and deep, deeply rooted uh, love for one another, sacrificial even love for one another. That um, that are our systems and structures, our institutions, um, obviously, you know, going all the way back to the time of Jesus and before, um, you know, th those are the things that are acting against um, this, this, this deeply indwelling love. Those are the things that act in favor of the wealthy, the powerful, the influential, um, rather than in favor of the marginalized and the oppressed and the outcast, right? Because in in the order of the world as God intends it, there are no oppressed or outcasts or misfits. Yeah. Or, or those who are excluded and left behind and marginalized. None of that exists in God's vision for the world as God intended it when God created it. Right. Uh, so so this whole Christ event that we're talking about is God's action, God's work to redeem all of us from that order and, and uh, to to transfer us into God's kingdom rather than the kingdom of this world. And I know yeah. that probably is too churchy, <laughs> but, 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 but that's in effect, that's really what's happening with, with, with this Christ event. It is a liberation event from our enslavement 
to the world as it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and freeing us to live in God's kingdom, the world as it should be. Um, the, 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 the vision that the prophets uh, tell us of the world or cast for the world uh, in the Hebrew Bible, right? Mm, the, yeah. king, the kingdom of God, God's yeah. rule, God's reign, God's order of things in the world. Yeah, yeah. So let's um, let's kind of zero in then specifically on this Holy Week Easter, you know, piece of this larger event, and um, and talk a little bit about some of these acts that you know that for so long, um, it, it, you know, and in the churches you and I grew up in, these things were so to me overly spiritualized. Right? Um, we, we took these all as indicators that um, Jesus's whole point was to get us all to heaven when we die. Um, and I know you got a lot to say about that <laughs> with the, the, the slaveholder gospel, the holler gospel. <laughs> um, and and we, we might get into some of that a little bit, but, but let's start with um, where we begin, you know, what we call Holy Week, which is, um, you know, Palm Sunday, the, what has become known as the triumphal entry, um, which just, you know, smacks of empire and, you know, colonialism and all of that stuff. Um, but, it, but as we kind of said up front, you know, there, there has been a movement lately um, to recognize um, this idea of an anti-triumphal entry. And so what the act that Jesus is enacting by, you know, riding on a donkey into the city um, as people are laying down their coats and waving, you know, palm leaves and stuff and, um, little kids are running around the sanctuary <laughs> screaming Hosanna. All right. When we, when we separate that from that sort of over spiritualized, uh, way of looking at it and really place it into a very real historical, political, economic context, um, you know, where, where is the subversion in that act? Let's, let's kind of start from there and then roll on. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, the real message at the root of that is that. Jesus is a much different kind of king, right? And, and, and God's kingdom is a much different type of kingdom than what we think of when we think of kingdom, right? Right. So, uh, and we talked about this earlier before we went on the air as, as Jesus and his disciples are coming down the Mount of Olives uh, toward the eastern entrance into the city of Jerusalem uh, across the Kidron Valley and ascending the Mount Zion uh, into the city. Uh, on the opposite end of the city from the west is coming the representation of worldly power, mm. right? The, the representation of empire, of kingdom, uh, of of enslavement, uh, the 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 representative of the occupying force uh, that that is in uh, Jerusalem in the Holy Land, and that's Pilate, uh, uh, right. Rome's the the emperor's governor uh, of Judea and Syria and the surrounding areas, um, who comes unlike Jesus not riding on, on a donkey, uh, but riding on a war horse. Mm. 
and, and is is not accompanied by this ragtag bunch of of poor fishermen and former tax collectors and and other assorted uh, what the religious folk would call riffraff, uh, but but he is accompanied by his cavalry, right? His soldiers, the, mm. the, 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 the Roman legions coming into the city to exert their power, to show their force, to say, as this Passover festival begins, and I think, I don't think we've mentioned that yet, and we cannot let that go, that this is the Passover festival. But, but what Pilate is saying, what Rome is saying is as this Passover festival begins, this celebration of your liberation from Egypt, uh, it's fine for you to remember that. But don't get any funny ideas mm, yeah, about yeah. about about liberating yourselves from us, you, right. your oppressors, your masters. Yeah. Right? That you know, I I just recently came across an interesting tidbit about that that whole bit of Pilate coming in um, to the city, you know, to to just kind of keep things under control during the Passover. Um, and and I haven't had a chance to research this at all, but it comes from a pretty reliable source um, that what Pilate comes to Jerusalem from. Um, Caesarea, um, Caesarea Philippi by the sea, uh, which was at that time like a luxury resort city, um, on the Mediterranean that, you know, so this is where the ruler was hanging out, right? Um, you know, any, any, uh, any parallels to Mar-a-Lago may or may not be appropriate to invoke here. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I, but I think, you know, there's this idea of the rich and powerful um, seeking to maintain their position through the oppression of the common folks. Right. And um, and and Jesus's act in that time is to stand with and for the common folks and to say, here's and you know, here here's what you just witnessed on the other side of town. Um, uh, by the way, very typical of the way the Roman empire operated, right? Um, that it, it was a, a time honored tradition, you know, for, um, conquering Kings and generals to ride into town with their entourage and their war, you know, with this display of, um, power. Um, and so the idea of, you know, the, the anti-triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday, uh, entry into the city on the other side, on the eastern side of town, um, really is, um, in a sense, this this piece of again subversive street theater, right? It's it's an act to um, to a very specific audience um, to evoke a response. Yeah, it's very much a, a demonstration or, or or a protest, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it very much is, which I think you can see. Over and over again in the in in the events of Holy Week, it, it's it's almost like one sustained demonstration, yeah, all, yeah. all, all the way through. And, and and you know th- this portrait that we are painted in, in this uh, this entry into Jerusalem that there that's the position of the two kingdoms, right? Mm. 
uh, I don't think that there is a, a, a better picture painted for us than that, uh, than than anywhere else in Scripture. And you're very, and you're right. It's very much Rome is coming in very much to maintain order during what could be for them a very subversive time, right? Yeah. Uh, a, a, a very, a, a very uh, uh, un, unstable time. They're coming in to exert their power, maintain order, maintain the status quo. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, that, you know, as Jesus and his followers coming into the city, uh, that some of the folks who are aligned, who have a vested interest in maintaining that power, the, the religious elite of Jerusalem, are telling, at least in Luke's version of the story, are telling Jesus, make your followers stop shouting that you are the king. Yeah, yeah. Make them stop because it's going to be trouble. You, you, you are going to, to, to cause an insurrection, mm-hmm. basically, is, is what, is what the, the, the thought process is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you have... The, the interestingly enough, as I said, the, the religious elite trying, as we see over and again in the New Testament, trying to stop this move of God. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, you know, we, we probably should also just note historically when all of this goes down, you know, um, Jerusalem has been occupied by the Roman Empire for some time now. Um, previously has been occupied by the armies of Alexander the Great, right? So there's this, and, and prior to that, you know, historically um, has been exiled, you know, to Assyria and to Babylon, right? To, <coughs> excuse, so there's this long history of exile, first, first exiled to other kingdoms, and then sort of for the last, you know, several generations, the people have been kind of exiled in place. And by the time this Jesus narrative begins historically, um, there are those within Israel who are ready to take up arms to try to take their country back. Right. And and we have like, so we have the history of the Maccabean revolt, which predates all of this um, by, you know, um, I've lost track of how many years, but several generations, (coughs) excuse me. And, um, and so there's this there's this sort of foment, right? Um, there's this there's this uprising that is kind of brewing. That if you, if we look closely at the scriptures and we read history, um, it's sort of this subtext for everything that Jesus is doing because Jesus is he's tapping into that, but he's also doing it in um, a very intentionally nonviolent way um, c- because I, I've always felt like well I shouldn't say always as I've become more and more um, tuned into liberationist theology, um, I've begun to realize that there was as much danger from inside as from outside um, because you did have the, you know, like the zealots and that, and part of that movement, um, the Essenes, you know, um, had this idea that, um, that there had to be a military uprising in order to, free their people. So Jesus is not only critiquing the empire, but he's also critiquing um, 
the the violent uprising that wants to take off from within his own people. Absolutely. And and there had been several violent uprisings that had occurred, even in recent memory uh, for the folks who who would have been there. I mean, you know, the, the, the Romans had had destroyed the city of Sepphoris near Nazareth, you know, f- because of an uprising. Right. Uh, so, 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 yeah, that, that, that would have been very much at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of this stuff has come into a head simultaneously. Um, and then, and then Jesus chooses very intentionally um, to, to ride in the city on the back of a donkey to make a very um, kind of specific statement. Yeah. And he's got and he has zealots uh, among his disciples. Sure. Yeah, 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 which is a whole other layer um, to all of this. Um, So, yeah. So let's move on there. Let's move on from um, from the triumphal entry and from Palm Sunday. Um, So let's let's step through the week then. So. what, what in your estimation is sort of the next big, because a lot of times we jump right from Palm Sunday to like Maundy Thursday. Um, but, you know, within our traditions, um, you know, there, there are liturgical readings for every day that kind of take us through that week. So, so what's next, uh, as we, as we walk through this, um, this, this subversive week? Well, if we set John's gospel aside for a moment, it, it he, would. John doesn't put anything in order. You can't. It, it would. John's it tripping. Would, <laughs> yeah, it. it I, I think the the, the next uh, event in the process would be the cleansing of the temple. Right. Uh, right. The, the, the protests uh, in, in the temple, uh, which uh, I, I can't remember. It was either the next day after the entry into the city or the day after. It, it was. It was very close in proximity. Yeah, and, and the gospel writers don't really give us a, a real clear timeline for that. And and John, by the way, is John's that dude that is spiritualizing all of it, so he doesn't care what order he puts. And, I, and I'm not, I don't mean to be like ragging on um, the the writer of the Gospel of John. He was writing a very specific gospel for a very specific community, and it, it, his his agenda was to tell a, the story from a different angle. Um, rather than as, as were all the gospel writers, oh, they sure. were all yeah, writing yeah. to different communities, yeah, specific communities for a specific purpose, right? Right, but the synoptics do sort of give us a little bit more of a timeline, um, I guess. So, this so the cleansing of the temple, um, in many ways, if we were to be watching this as a Netflix limited series, right. Palm Sunday would be episode. Actually, Palm Sunday would probably be episode two because you'd have to have a whole episode of like backstory to get us there. <laughs> um, but then, you, but the next episode is going to be the cleansing of the temple, and and you can see when you think of it that way that it is definitely an extension of what just happened before. Yeah, because you referred to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as street theater, right? Yeah. This is very the, the 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 driving the money changers out of the temple is very much a performative act. Yeah, yeah. A, a premeditated, in my opinion, anyway, a premeditated performative act to 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 make a statement to draw attention to what has happened. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a protest. It was an act of protest. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. 
and and again a nonviolent act. One of the things that that really pisses me off <laughs> when when because a lot of times when people, especially folks from like more fundamentalist evangelical sort of um, traditions, they want to use that story of Jesus, um, you know, overturning the the tables and all. They want to use that as an example of God's wrath, right? That Jesus gets angry that, that we, you know, God is an angry God and, um, and just looking for an excuse to make us all burn in hell. And they use this story, um, as, as an excuse to say, look, I mean, even Jesus got angry and, you know, I mean, one of the gospel writers even tells us that he, you know, takes a whip, you know, and, but nowhere in there is he ever directly attacking other human beings, right? Um, and so if, if he is angry, um, again, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's more, I think it's more of an act. I don't think it's, I don't think it's this overwhelming anger boiled up and, um, and Jesus is reacting to his own anger. I, I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think it's a premeditated act. He already knew before he went in that he was going to do that. He had an agenda for it. You know, there was, there were certain people whose attention he wanted to get for that. And at the same time, it, it's again, an act that upholds the oppressed and the marginalized. The people who were victimized by the temple system are the ones that Jesus is standing with there. Absolutely. And I think that, so I tend to think that he, he was angry, although I don't think that he, uh, spontaneously acted out of that anger. That, yeah, I think that's, yeah. I, I probably wasn't making that point yeah. really clear, but I think that's, yeah, I think you're right on with what I'm trying to say. I think he was angered at the injustice and the exploitation yes. that was yeah. going on. That that he, the, these, these folks, these pilgrims, uh, many of whom probably spent everything, almost nearly everything they had just to get to Jerusalem to get to the temple and now are having to, to pay for, for their sacrificial animals. Right. Uh, right. And, and it, yeah, it, yeah, it's Jesus again, which I think is, is kind of the common thread that runs through this whole Christ event is God in solidarity with the poor, with the oppressed. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's it's uh, it reminds me of of something that uh, Dr. James H. Cone said in, in his very famous work, God of the Oppressed, that, that the Jesus story is the poor person story because God in Christ becomes poor and weak in order that the oppressed might become liberated from poverty and powerlessness. Mm. And 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 that is the 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 crux of it all right yeah and we yeah. see this we see this taking place in the temple now that that you are exploiting the most marginalized folks of society god is not pleased with this and you are doing it in the very in the very complex where you claim that god's presence dwell mm, right yeah so God's presence dwells with the poor. 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, there, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new at all about um, about folks trying to to co opt God into their own agendas of um, power and privilege and wealth and control. You know, we we see that playing out all the time. Um, but I but I think you're right that that act in the temple is Jesus confronting that system. And so, and so I think, yeah, well, so while there might be anger involved there, I I think the distinction to make is the anger doesn't erupt in violence. Right. Um, and, and I think, and I think, you know, that's kind of the excuse that people have used is, you know, you know, to, to say, well, you know, God, God is wrathful. God will be violent towards those that God, you know, doesn't favor air quotes. Um, and, and I don't think that's what Jesus is doing there. And we're no, I agree, and I and I think that we are seeing Jesus, like you're right, very intentionally modeling this nonviolent resistance to the violence of empire, right? Uh, and we saw that with the with, with the entrance into Jerusalem, right? That juxtaposition between the 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 power and the the, the military power and the coercive power of Rome against the humility and solidarity of God. Mm. Um, yeah, it, 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 this, you can, you can really view this whole week through that lens of the, the, again, the, this is the way God intends for humanity to act toward one another uh, as opposed to the way the social order, the economic order, and the political order are currently constructed, where where power and might rules the day. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on. So, it, what where do you what do you see as the next um, the next piece of uh, of this subversive week that we call Holy Week? Well, I, I, I immediately go to uh, Holy uh, or or Maundy, Maundy Thursday, say, yeah, yeah, uh, w- which would be the next uh, critical piece, I think, in all of this, which is Jesus uh, gathering with his followers uh, to celebrate the Passover meal, to 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 eat the Passover meal, uh, which again. Um, is very key, I think, for us to understand what's going on in this week it is is framing all of this against the backdrop of the Passover, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and the, the 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 Exodus story, right? Hmm. Uh, this this the the story of when God's people were liberated from enslavement to the Egyptians and set free. So now this is, uh, we've gotten to um, uh, this this celebration, uh, this point in the celebration where they are symbolically reenacting, remembering this, this hasty meal that their ancestors had to eat on the eve of their liberation. Right. Mm. Where where they uh, every household was to take a lamb, uh, keep it in their home for four days, 
then slaughter it, cook it, eat it, and take some of the blood from the slaughter and and mark the doors, the, the doorposts of their homes so that the death would pass them by on, on that night, which coincidentally, uh, Joe, uh, and, and I just, this just occurred to me today as I was reading that story in Exodus. Uh, Jesus came into Jerusalem, came into uh, God's people's home, quote unquote, if mm-hmm. you will, on what we now know, what we call Palm Sunday, four days prior to this Passover feast, this Passover yeah. So he's setting himself up already as as this sacrificial lamb for for the people's freedom. Right, right. And that, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah that was. Um, I, I think that we have a we're in a group text that you had mentioned something about that earlier today. Um, that that four day period, and yeah, that was something I'd kind of overlooked before. Um, which is, it's so fascinating how you can study these things for years. And and out of the blue, something like that, you know, pops out at you. It, that's you know, that's so obvious. And, and to me, and this is, we were having this conversation in in our new wineskins community last night. Um, the historicity of these events is largely immaterial. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's completely immaterial. I, I think that's a stretch, but it's it's largely immaterial. What what is material? What is important is that the stories that have been told about these events have meaning. And the fact that the people who told these stories after the fact put them in the order that they did, right? And and were, you know, clearly observing, you know, like you said, that four-day period. You know, that that was very central to their um identity, their their national identity and their religious identity, which obviously was all kind of one thing. Um, and so, you know, whether, whether that is in fact, you know, the number of days that it it doesn't matter, right? It it doesn't really matter. There's a story that comes out of that, that has deep meaning, you know? Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, let's, um, so before the meal, right. It traditionally, again, whether these events happen in this order or not, we don't really have any way of knowing. Um, but, but we also traditionally kind of celebrate uh, on Monday Thursday Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, and it, which is again um, a powerful piece of theater, uh, a, a very deeply, deeply symbolic act. M- maybe not so much within its time and place. Maybe not so much an act for the larger public, but certainly one for the people that. Um, that Jesus knows are going to have to carry on this movement. Um, so how do you, how do you frame that? How do you see that foot washing um, story in the midst of all of this? So yeah, the, 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 the foot washing is, is very interesting, very interesting piece of this story because in that context and in, in that time and place, um, only the servants of the household would wash the feet of guests. Mm. Right. So, so you've got Jesus, this rabbi, this, this well-respected teacher 
of his followers who takes really models what Paul talks about in the Philippians passage. He takes the form of a servant and empties himself. We, we have this kinetic moment, right? This, mm. this emptying of, of himself and becoming a servant and, and really in, in large respect, it's almost like a, a really, well, it is not almost, it's a foreshadow of what is coming the next day. Right. Mm. Uh, he, he, he is, he is giving himself for his followers to his followers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and again, we have this tendency to compartmentalize these stories, but that, that foot washing story flows right into, you know, what we call the last supper. Right. Um, and so it, it, it is, it's a prelude um, to that event. It's not. And, and again, you know, we, we want to separate these things out. E- even if we try to put them on a timeline, we don't often look at that and say, Oh, that's important. What he does there because of what he's about to do in the upper room with the last supper. So he set this stage for his disciples, the the people closest to him that he's going to spend this, this last bit of time with. And the, the very intentional act of, of saying, okay, like I I love the word canonic, you know, the, the giving away um, the emptying Um, it's as if to say um, it, I, I can, I guess, let me back up and say, I can imagine the disciples in the upper room as Jesus begins to sort of rewrite the Passover liturgy, um, having that very clear memory in their minds from just a few hours ago, right? And, and putting that in that context, right? we, we don't very often do that. But think of what, you know, the disciples are hearing, as, you know, as we get into that, you know, that the Last Supper scene of Maundy Thursday. And Jesus is now saying, you know, during this very, you know, hundreds of years old liturgy that that his people have performed over and over and over and over and over again, he takes that the same ritual and he gives new meaning to it, you know, gives, a you know, um, and and again, I don't think he's really a lot of people would say, you know, he, he gives it a whole different meaning. I don't think he does give it a different meaning. I think, again, he's reinterpreting it to say, look how we've been missing the point. Look how we've been missing the point. And that foot washing episode sets up that whole thing. Right. Because Jesus is showing them physically. This is the point. You become the servant. Break down these social barriers. Break down the caste system. Right. And and so he uses that to set the stage for this is my body. This is my blood. Right. So it's it's just when we look at it that way, it, it's you can't escape the subversiveness of that whole act. Yeah. And and in, in the rewriting and the reframing of, of this ancient liturgy that that all of these folks sitting around the table with him are intimately familiar with. Oh yeah. It's and, it's like a movie that you know all the words to. Right. Right. You and, can recite it as you go. <laughs> yeah. So and 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 here you have <laughs> here you have this guy 
who they have been following around for, you know, three, three and a half years now and, and have seen all of the, 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 the power of God at work through him. Uh, and, and now all of this that, that he has shown them and he has taught them comes to a culmination point, right? Mm where he grabs the bread off of the table uh, and, and representing, you know, the, the, the Paschal lamb uh, and says, this is my body. This is not, this is not any longer symbolic of, of the Passover lamb's body. This is my body mm. that is given for you. And do this not in remembrance of the Passover, right? Because God said, this is, this is a, re- remember this day for all generations, right? This is to be in remembrance of your freedom from Egypt. Jesus now says, now do this in remembrance of me as mm-hmm. often as you eat. Yeah. And- uh, go ahead. The, the act of liberation that's baked into all of that, you know, the, the remembering the Passover, remembering the, the release from slavery in Egypt. Um, N.T. Wright, um, who was one of the most influential theologians in my early thinking, um, he always contended that, um, that Jesus was becoming for Israel what Israel had never been able to become for itself. And so when, when Jesus is reenacting that Passover feast and, and takes the bread and says, you know, this is my body. He's not just saying this is the body of Jesus of Nazareth. Who's about to be executed by the state. He's saying, this is, this is us. This is, this is the body of Israel. And by extension, the body of, you know, the people of God, um, and that's what we're called to remember that justice and liberation are at the root of all of that, of or at the root of who we are meant to be as a people. Um, and here's this you know, very dramatic enactment of that. Yeah. I love that. And can yeah. you imagine, can you imagine being one of the guys or, or, or ladies sitting around that table? When, when, when that occurred and, and just when he, when he pronounces, you know, we, we say those words every time, every time we celebrate Holy communion in the church. Uh, and it kind of gets lost on us, but can you imagine hearing that for the first time, what that must've been like? That, mm. that, that was a jaw dropping moment. Yeah, yeah. This is my body. This cup, this 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 wine in this cup is my blood. I have become the lamb mm. to set our people free from enslavement. Yeah, to the enslavement of the current order of the world. Yeah, yeah. It all comes together when you see it in the bigger lens, doesn't it? it, it it's it's amazing. It yeah. really. Yeah. Well, let's, let's keep rolling then. Let's, let's fast forward. So we, we get through Monday, Thursday, we get through the, 
the foot washing and the, the last supper, um, the next kind of high holy day for us, um, in the, in the Christian calendar is what we call Good Friday. And, um, you know, the, the day of the crucifixion. And, and I, you know, kind of keep going back to, um, our friends text to me, you know, saying that that was really maybe the most subversive act. And again, hard to disagree with that. But when we see it, you know, in a more holistic way, um, let's talk about crucifixion, not as an act of, um, penal substitutionary. Did I even say that right? Penal substitutionary atonement. Um, but, but as an act of, um, solidarity and liberation. Yeah. For me, Joe, this is really the, the, the crucifixion is, the ultimate expression of nonviolent resistance, mm. right? I, I cannot help when I think of uh, when I when I think of the crucifixion. I can't help but to have my mind go to you know those those freedom riders sitting at southern lunch counters mm. in, in in the summer of of. Was that 63, whatever summer that was, that yeah, the freedom yeah. riders and being spit on and and slapped and beaten. Uh, I cannot help but think of, you know, the, the protesters in Birmingham being fire hosed uh, mm. by, by Bull Connor's police force. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and but, but, you know, or and the folks not, at Stonewall, you know, and right. Exactly. Any of those. Yeah. Um. Any, any of those. But here we have God in human form, the, the God of the universe who, who, who has all power, who possesses all power, allows himself to, as, as one uh, theologian puts it, uh, absorb all of the violence of the world mm. absorbs all of the violence of the world on the cross in order to join all people all through all time and space who have ever been violently oppressed and joins them in solidarity. Yeah, I, I cannot help but the, the very word atonement mm. at one meant. Yeah, yeah. Jesus in that moment is entering into the world of the oppressed and becomes at one with them. God becomes at one with them. Uh, and, and I can almost, you, you can almost hear the echo of, of, of Exodus. Let my people go mm. from, from the cross. Yeah. You know, and, and, and thinking about that, um, within the context of the language that commonly gets used, you know, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, right? That we, we interpret that in such a shallow like behavioral management uh, way. Um, but, but I like the, I like what you said about, you know, that, that, 
the, the, the idea of absorbing the violence of the world. I mean, to me, that's what that whole idea of, um, you know, dying to forgive us of our sins. It's not about all of these stupid little individual acts of disobedience or whatever. It's about the systemic sin, the systemic violence that, again, oppresses and marginalizes and exploits human beings <laughs> created in the image of the creator, um, made for love, by love, to be love, um, that, you know, humanity just um, turns its back on on these folks. And I, I think you're right for this demonstration of Richard Rohr talks a lot about the, um, the divine suffering, right? That, that all suffering is one suffering. And so Jesus's act on the cross is an act um, to use your word again, solidarity, right? Um, with all of the suffering of all of humanity for all times. And by doing that disarms it, right? It doesn't make violence go away. Obviously, we still live in, in a very violent world. Um, it doesn't make all of those systemic sins go away, but it it does disarm them, right? It does give people hope that violence um, and death and oppression and exploitation don't get the last word. Uh, to 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 echo John the Baptist's words, behold the Lamb of God come to take away who comes to take away the sins of the world uh, the and you're right uh, the, the here is the lamb again the the passover lamb not not the um uh, not the sacrifice made on the day of atonement but the sacrifice made on the passover mm to free us, liberate us from the sins of the world. Mm. Right. Those systemic yeah. sins of which you speak, those social sins, those structural sins of, of that you just referenced. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, so that's the phrase. If we, if we didn't just kind of, flash forward um, on the timeline then that that's the frame of reference for Easter, right? For resurrection Sunday. And this is one of those things like, this is one of those things, um, you know, when I'm in conversation with folks who are deconstructing and who are asking, you know, good, deep, hard questions, um, you know, about whether or not they can even believe in, you know, a physical resurrection or not. Um, Again, it's a story that has meaning. I don't, I don't have to get too wrapped up in what I give intellectual assent to. Does that make sense? Like, I don't have to get too wrapped up in whether, um, people actually, you know, believe in, in air quotes again, um, a physical resurrection or not. Um, because the story of a resurrected Jesus is a story that held deep meaning. For, I mean, obviously for people, you know, even today, but again, going back to that original historical context, um, a story of a resurrected Jesus has deep meaning because it has to, somewhere along the line, 
if that story of um of nonviolent resistance of um has said love being what's really at the root of all reality um the story needs an ending that doesn't end with the powers and principalities as we say you know the systems and structures winning the day yeah i i, I think joe that you, you you touched on it a moment ago that the resurrection event in this overall Christ event is what creates hope, right? Mm. So, so if we look at the cross, if we look at the crucifixion as God entering into solidarity with all of those who have been, um, who have been victimized by power, uh, by violence throughout history, then the resurrection is their vindication. Yeah, the 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 resurrection is that it is the the crowning statement that God is with you, Emmanuel, mm. and that God fights for you, and and God ultimately wins. Right. Um, I, I always find this interesting that, that this, and when I discovered this, it it was one of these mind blowing moments, right? That the 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 Greek word from, that we translate into English as resurrection, also as many Greek and Hebrew words do, have more than one mm-hmm. way that you can define them or translate them. You can also translate that into uprising. Mm. Uprising. So in, in the resurrection of Christ, we see this opportunity for a new way of being for all people of the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A new life. A new life. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's the story, like the early Christian communities were an uprising, you know, they were, um, they were almost exclusively focused on the idea of resurrection, whether that means, you know, um, resurrection, the way we think of it, or in this, this, this context of an uprising that, um, they, they reordered their societies in opposition to the way empire worked. Um, and that, that was a pretty powerful movement um, up until Constantine came around and uh, <laughs> and figured out a way to co-opt it, you know, for for the empire. Um, and then for the next, you know, 2000 years, um, we, we've lived through this Christendom project where um, where we, we haven't um, stood so much in opposition to the powers and principalities. Um, the church has, and again, that's painting with broad strokes, but, um, you know, has become aligned with power and control narratives and privilege narratives, um, rather than again, you know, kind of one of, one of the things that, that, um, I talk about a lot, um, within circles of people who are like doing Bible study and stuff is to, to remind us always, and you and I've talked about this a ton already, that all, all of that was literature for the oppressed. 
And so when we read it through the lens, you know, you and me as 21st century white men, we're not reading it through the lens of the oppressed. We're reading it through the lens of privilege. And we have to figure out a way to set that aside and be in solid. One of the things I've, I've been reading, I can't even remember exactly where I saw this now. I should give somebody credit for it. Um, but it, one of the Twitter threads I've been following has been talking about, um, you know, deconstruction, if it doesn't also include, you know, if it's only deconstructing your spirituality or your theology and doesn't include deconstructing misogyny and nationalism and supremacy, it, you're only going halfway, right? If, if you're, if all you're doing is deconstructing your ecclesiology or your theology, and you're not also beginning to deconstruct all of this systemic stuff that we're talking about, um, you're, you're not there yet. You know, you, you still have a, some work to do. It, it begs the question, Joe, to, to take this full circle back to where we began this conversation. Um, for 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 we 21st century followers uh, of the Galilean healer and teacher um, were were he physically present with us today and entering into Jerusalem again, would we be with him or would we be with Pilate? Yeah. Would would be would we be in the crowd shouting Hosanna, <laughs> or would be we be in the crowd right. shouting crucify? You know, it, yeah. right. Uh, you know, it, and it, it gets back to um, you know a point that you made earlier uh, about penal substitutionary atonement theory. You know this this notion that that the, the wrath of God had to be satisfied through this violent act perpetrated against Jesus on the cross. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of of uh, Tehran Inbody, uh, who 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 makes the case that such such a such an understanding of the crucifixion gives a green light for folks to abuse power. Yeah, yeah, and for folks to use violence. And and if we think that violence. It is somehow goes hand in hand with salvation. Then it's very easy to make the leap to to use violence to maintain power and to yeah. maintain so-called quote unquote order or law and order, right? Mm. And then we are acting as agents of empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one might say antichrist. Yes. Um, yeah. Very much. Yeah, yeah. Well, my friend, this has been um really interesting conversation. Really I I love it when we can kind of go deep uh into some of this stuff. Uh I think you and I both might need to clean our boots off a little bit um after after this conversation because we were I think we were piling it pretty I now I mean um I I just think it's so helpful to especially for those of us sort of in this deconstruction space, um, as we try to unpack a lot of this stuff that we've sort of inherited or been handed without really asking the deeper questions and um and looking more deeply into um how all of these things are, you know, so deeply interconnected, how they are really parts of a larger drama um that have been acted out 
um, in favor of um, justice and liberation for for all of those who have been exploited and oppressed, right? So, and that's um, that's the work we look to do, uh, and uh, and hopefully, um, hopefully, the movement is gaining some steam. I guess. Yes, resurrection. That's what we're all about, Joe. Resurrection for all people. Rising up from the hollers, my friend. Amen. All right, my friend. Well, as always, uh, appreciate you being um, part of our team here. Uh, Appreciate you being with me for this conversation, Brad. Um, Looking forward to many, many more uh, as we go forward. Folks, as always, you can find uh, all of the content that we are creating and curating for the Accidental Tomatoes community at our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. And you can also find us across the social media world. Uh, Just go to the magical Google machine and look up Accidental Tomatoes and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, and we're carrying on these conversations all the time. So we invite you to join us, Brad. Thanks again. I'm looking forward to, uh, some more deep conversations, my friend. My pleasure, brother. Take care now. Take care.